Hey, good morning. It's a great day to be alive. Amen? How many of y'all were really satisfied last week when the Eagles beat the Patriots? Come on, tell the truth. Again, the real show of hands, how many of y'all really didn't care? That's what I'm talking about, right? We just didn't care. We had apathy working. Hey, do me a favor. Grab your bulletin. The, uh, you should have gotten one when you walked in. There's pens in the seat back in front of you. We're going to continue to build on what we talked last week in regards to mission, vision, values, strategy, what God's called us to do, what God's called you to be a part of in your own personal journey. And I pray that uh, your hearts would be open to really hearing from the Holy Spirit this morning. I think there's a lot of growth uh, potential for each and every one of us that sits in this room right now. None of us have had our tassels turned. None of us have graduated. We're still all in process. It doesn't matter what your age is. We're all in the process of still being conformed into the likeness of Christ. Amen? That's where we're all at. And so uh, we talked last week. And we finished really with Matthew 28, with what is called the Great Commission. If you're new to church, if you're new to the fellowship, uh, the Great Commission, in a nutshell, was Jesus' final words to the disciples before he would be ascended into heaven. And so as Jesus uh, talks to these guys, it's after his death, his burial, his resurrection, he's revealed himself over a 40-day period of time to what are called the disciples which means these people that were hanging out with Jesus in an intimate way. I'll give you a working definition in a minute. But this is what he said to them. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I want you now to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want you to teach them to observe all that I have commanded. And I want you to know that I will be with you even until the ends of the age. So Jesus establishes with the disciples, which would include us, the great commission would be this. I want you to know that all authority exists within me. The Father has entrusted all authority to me. Now here's your assignment. I want you to be intentional as you're doing life to go into all the world and make disciples. I want to unpackage that for you. I gave you a working definition last week of what a disciple is. Now, again, I understand there's many terms that can be used. Learner, a person who is intimately following Jesus, a person who is walking in the dust of Rabbi Jesus. A Hebrew term would be Talmud, which means that person who has been selected by a rabbi to hang out with him as an apprentice. All these terms, but here is one of the simplest definitions I think you can have. A true disciple of Jesus is a person who is pledging to be all that they can be, And be the best that they can be for the glory of God. So when you think of becoming a disciple yourself, you're saying, I am pledging through faith and repentance, I'm pledging to be all I can be and the best I can be for the glory of God, plus helping others be the best that they can be and all that they can be for the glory of God. So when we make that pledge to become a disciple of Jesus, what we're saying is, the stake is being driven in the ground, I'm going all in And I want to be the best that I can be. I want to be all that I can be. But I want to come alongside others and make them the best that they can be for the glory of God. Now, in a broad general sense, each and every one of us are making disciples every day. Not necessarily from a biblical standpoint, but from a general standpoint. You are reflecting to others and modeling to others something. 
People are paying attention to my life and your life every day. So people around you, people around you are seeing how you live, how you talk, where you walk, and what you do. So in a broad general sense, you've got influence with other people. The question must be asked, what am I training and encouraging others to become? That's got to be the question that we ask ourselves. What do I reflect? What do I model? And what do I encourage others to be about? Now, collectively as a church, we've established that our mission statement as we move into 2018 and beyond is that we care about connecting your story to Christ and others. We believe Philippians 3.10 to be a linchpin, if you will, that I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to be conformed even to the likeness of Christ. I want to know Jesus. So we care about seeing you connected with Christ and other people. The scripture tells us about the importance of fellowship and doing life with others. Now, last week I laid out what our vision is for the next five years. And our vision here is that we desire to reach 1,500 new disciples, new followers of Jesus, to reach them, teach them, train them, and eventually send those people out into the world over the next five years. We've established that it's very doable. I sat in a room the other night, our men's Bible study, Paul, you were there. And we sat in this room the other night, and we were having these small group discussions, and it was awesome. There's probably about 35, 40 guys in this room. But as I sat in this one group with my buddy Dan and Richard, I looked there, and I said, I saw Richard come to faith in Christ three years ago. I was like, that's cool. And Richard went from lost to leader. Then there's a guy by the name of Jai sitting there. Jai, three weeks ago, surrendered his life to Christ. He moved here from South Dakota and got ambushed by the Holy Spirit. And now he's going to heaven. Imagine, amazing how God can change your life. And so in that group as well was my buddy Paul. Paul surrendered at the end of May last year. I said, this is really cool. So three of the dudes sitting in this group right now, I've seen come to faith in Christ three years, three months or whatever it was, or three weeks. And then in the next group, there was Blake. He had come to faith in Christ toward the end of the year. His brother Chase had come to faith. There my buddy Ash was. Ash came to faith in June. My son Benji drove the stake in the ground about three and a half, four years ago. But I'm sitting there going out of the eight guys I'm looking at, I've seen seven of these guys come to faith in Jesus Christ. Is that not cool? I'm sitting there going, we've got a lot of young blood, a lot of new believers that are going to become disciple makers. They're not just going to come and repent and say, well, Jesus has saved me, so all's good. No, you're going to get in the game. And so we're raising up that next generation, but part of our vision is we're going to reach 1,500 people, plus it's going to require that each and every one of us have skin in the game, and we're going to have to live our lives in an intentional way. Now, if that's going to happen... If that's going to happen, we're going to have to have eyes to see. We're going to have to see the lost people, the hurting people, the wounded people, the unchurched people in our world. Eyes that look are common, but eyes that see are rare. We're going to have to look beyond the obvious. Color of skin, uh, how buffed up a person may look or whatever, what they drive, what they wear. We're going to have to look beyond the external and start to look at the heart. When we read about Master Jesus in Scripture... It's phenomenal. The Bible says that when Jesus saw the people, he had compassion on them because they were distressed and they, they were downcast and they were sheep without a shepherd. And what he saw with the people were not just a mass of people, but he saw individuals that needed hope, healing, restoration in their journey. 
The Bible says when he showed up at the pool of Bethesda, he looked at the guy and he saw him and he said, do you want to get well? He saw him. He took time to spend with this individual. The scripture says while he's on the Mount of Olives, he looks over at Jerusalem and he begins to see Jerusalem and he begins to weep because he's He's desperate to see the people in Jerusalem come to know him as Master, Savior, and Lord. So every day when we wake up, we have to ask ourselves the question in regards to vision. What do I see? What, what do I see happening around me? Do I see needs? Do I see hurt? Do I see pain? Do I see people alienated and separated from Christ? Do I see people destined for hell if there's not intervention in their life? What do I see? You've got to be able to see the needs around you. Now, as we talk about what we value here, what we value is what we see to be essential. And so Dustin hit it briefly, but we see spiritual restoration being essential. We want to see every person that we encounter come to know the Savior, set free. Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel and to set the captive free. We believe that spiritual restoration can happen to anyone, whether you've been abused by the church, hurt by the church, whether you've suffered abuse, betrayal in your own journey. We believe that there's healing and hope at the cross. And at the cross, Loganville, we want to see spiritual restoration. We believe in authentic worship. We believe in living a missional life 24-7, 365, that no matter where we're at, God's called us to authentic worship, to glorify him with no matter uh, what's going on in our lives. We value biblical truth, and I'm going to hit it again. But when we open up the word of God, we will be biblical, we will be practical, and it will be transferable. You can pass it on to other people. We value that. We value intentional discipleship. Here's a cool thing that happened last week. We rolled out Right Now Media to you guys. Dustin will hit it on the very end of our time today. But we rolled out Right Now Media as a tool to put in your hand. We had almost 300 people in this fellowship sign up for Right Now Media. My buddy T.O. playing the drums today. He's like, man, I got into some David Platt teaching. It's absolutely rocking me. I love it. My friend Lee, I was talking to Neil and Lee the other day. She said, I'm going through a series on the book of Galatians. I said, that guy out of Louisville teaching it? She goes, love it. Amanda Patrick, she sent a note this week. She goes, praise God for that tool. Not only am I benefiting, she said, but the stuff for kids, it is absolutely rocking their world. And I guarantee you, we got a note this week from probably 25, 30 different people saying, thank you. Thank you, thank you for putting that tool in our hand because we're committed to doing everything we can to help you grow as an authentic disciple. We believe in discipleship here. We don't believe just in walking aisles, praying a prayer, jumping in a tank of water and heading out the door. We believe that Jesus has called us to live missional, intentional discipleship lives 365, 24-7, baby. We don't take days off. We don't take plays off. And we believe in generous service. We believe that generosity is our greatest apologetic to the lost world in which we live today. Living generous lives of blessing others. Now, Dustin hit the strategy. And you will see the strategy emphasized. Sunday worship. Yep, you got to be a part of it. Hebrews 10, don't forsake assembling together as some is in the habit. But as you see the day of the Lord drawing near, keep hanging out together. Be strong together. We believe in small groups. Because if you come in on a Sunday morning, you're going to sit in a row. 
But we believe that true life change happens in circles, not rows. And so when you're able to get in a smaller group and connect with other people in the body of Christ, and you're going to grow deeper. We believe that that is absolutely crucial. We believe that sharing your story matters. You'll see us wearing our cross t-shirts at times. And on the back it says, your story matters. We believe that your story matters. Well, we believe when you sit down one-on-one with an individual and ask them to share their story and you're able to share your story, God can use you to change someone's eternity. God can use you to change someone's trajectory of life, even today. And we believe in radical service. We believe that we're to serve no matter where we're at. That's what we believe. Now, when you study the life of Master Jesus, now, the We're a Christian church. We claim that we're Christ followers. We're disciples of Jesus here. When you study the life of Jesus, it gives us a lot in the four Gospels, but when you study it, you see incredible strategy being lived out even through the life of Christ. You see Jesus spending time with a variety of groups. He invested time with 5,000, 70, 12, 3, 1, But Jesus always focused on depth and lasting impact. And so when you see the life of Christ, and we're to be imitators and to model our lives after Jesus, what was his strategy? What can we extract from him? Is what we're doing consistent with what he taught, with what he modeled? Let me give you some thoughts. It's in your bulletin. The first thought I would share with you would be this regarding Jesus. Jesus led himself. Jesus led himself. Character and identity were foundational for everything that Jesus did. Jesus Christ was about leading himself. When you start to think through, when you start to think through where you're at in the journey and what is your narrative, I would tell you this. You cannot lead others if you cannot lead yourself. It's been said that he who thinks he leads and has no one following is just taking a walk. (laughs) But we would be wise to look around us. Do I lead myself? Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Jesus would often slip away into the wilderness and spend time in prayer. I'm captured with the way Jesus lived his life, but I'm captured with the way that he led himself. He would get away. There was solitude. There was hang time with the Father. There was communion. There was refreshment. And you've got to stay strong yourself. You've got to be able to lead yourself. We have seen movements. We have seen movements over the years. And we have seen people that lead out of charisma and not out of character. Charisma may give you an initial audience, but character is what causes people to stick And stay with it long term. There's a lot of people that can come and blow and go and make a big noise. And they're great orators. But when you start to hang out with them, they're lacking substance. Maybe the sizzle is cool. But there's no stick to it power even within that individual. If you're going to serve and impact other people's lives, you've got to lead yourself first. And I can honestly tell you, I will not follow a person who has flawed character and integrity in their life. You better live out who you say you are. Because if you can't lead yourself, nobody wants to hang out with you. And I will say this to you. 
leading only from title and position will only carry you so far. Pharaoh had a title, but Moses had a testimony. And you start to break down the scripture. Herod had a title. Peter and Paul had a testimony. You start to cut people open and you go, what are they leading out of? Is it charisma? Is it show? Or is there substance and depth going on? Now, here's some simple things, but if you're going to truly lead yourself, I'm telling you right now, you must know your purpose for existence. I believe Jonathan Edwards and Piper were right when they said, God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied with him. When you know that your fundamental purpose for existence is to know God, enjoy God, walk with God, and worship God, when you say, that is my purpose for being on the planet, it doesn't matter who you are, what age you are, you'll go, I've got purpose for being on the planet. I'm not an accident. I'm not a mistake. God has intentionally, he calls me fearfully and wonderfully made, put me on this planet. You've got to know your purpose because purpose is what drives vision. Here's another thing. You've got to develop the uniqueness that God has poured inside of you. The gifts, abilities, and passions, strengths, and weaknesses, whatever. There's uniqueness inside of you that God didn't pour into everybody else. And if I'm going to grow as a leader, I've got to develop that uniqueness. When I first came to faith in Christ, some 32 years ago, I'm like, I, I want to go out and share Christ, but I don't know how to do it. And to start off with, the only thing I did was I would go out and do these baseball clinics and camps. I was taking some players and stuff with me. But the only thing I knew how to do was to show a four-seam grip versus a two-seam grip, how to hold the ball, how to put the glove on, how to hold the bat, how to talk about stance, stride, and swing. That's about all I had working. But I knew how to share with the people that I was lost. I met this Jesus, and he's changed my life. That's all I had. That's all I had. But when you start to realize some of your own uniqueness and develop the gifts inside. I didn't know I had a teaching gift. I didn't know I had a gift of proclamation. I didn't know I had a, the gift of evangelizing other people. I didn't know I had the gift of leadership. I didn't know this, but God started unpackaging it. And he says, you've got to develop this stuff. I've given it to you. And what you don't use, you will eventually lose if you don't develop it. And some of you in this room have gifts I will never have in my life. And God's wired you in such a way. And if all of us put our, our, our tools, if you will, in the box and come together and say, let's be the best that we can be, what will happen to Loganville and beyond? Here's another thing. You've got to cultivate godly character every day. You must have values, principles. You must know the word of God. We cannot negotiate. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. God, what is truth? What do you say? And I've got to have core values deep down inside of me and the principles of God that drive me every day. I've got to develop every day as a leader. My tassel's not turned. I haven't graduated. God is not up there going, you got it, and you can chill for the rest of your life. That's not the way it works. Here's another thing. You've got to continue to learn and grow every day. You grab my iPad, you'll go, who is Zola Levitt? Oh, he's this messianic rabbinical uh, brother that came to know Christ and uh, is, is, is his uh, savior. Are you reading the seven feasts of Israel? That, that's what I'm reading right now. So you're studying the Feast of Tabernacles. That, I'm, I'm wanting to read that right now. I'm kind of fascinated with that. Well, who is Larry Crabb in his 66 letters? Oh, I started reading Crabb years ago. He wrote Inside Out, The Silence of Adam, Soul Talk. And I'm really into reading this one right now. 
Well, who is Joe Stoll? Well, he, he's a pastor, and he used to be the president of Moody Bible College. You're reading him, yeah. Who is Crawford Loritz? Leadership as an identity. You're reading him? I got about three or four things right now that I'm reading. Here's what I believe for each and every one of us. I believe that people want to drink out of a flowing stream, not a stagnant pond. And I believe that a person who does not read will always be at the mercy of one who does. I believe that if we're going to grow as a leader, we've got to continue to learn and grow every day. You've got to read a variety. You've got to be sharp. So when you study the life of Master Jesus, you will conclude Jesus did a great job of leading himself. But here's some other things we take away. Jesus impacted the one. You'll see one-on-one conversations repeatedly throughout the Gospels of Jesus having. John chapter 1, he's over in Galilee. That's where he picked Peter, James, and John. And the Bible says he sees this guy, Philip. He goes, Philip, come follow me. The term follow me literally means I believe in you and you've got what it takes to be just like me. Come on, Philip, and hang out with me. And Philip's life was radically transformed through a one-on-one conversation with Jesus Christ. Nicodemus slides in there at night. He wants to chill with Jesus. John chapter 3, and Jesus, as he meets with Nick, says, you got to be born again. And that great passage that people that only have been in church for a short period of time will quote, he, Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, You know God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, I'm him, that whoever believes in me is not going to perish but have everlasting life. It was a one-on-one conversation with Nicodemus. It was a one-on-one conversation with a woman at the well. And here's what I believe. We can impress at a distance, but we have great impact up close. And when you get get intentional of sharing one-on-one with other people and sharing the good news of the gospel... And loving that person, it is amazing what God can do. What else did Jesus do? What other strategy did he have? When you study the scripture, Jesus invested in the three. We call them Peter, James, and John, a.k.a. the sons of thunder. That's what the Bible calls them. Jesus hung out with these three and invested time in them like nobody else. When you see Jesus going to the Mount of Transfiguration, and he's taking the sons of thunder, only those three, And I stood there at Mount Carmel about four weeks ago, and I was standing there looking down the valley over at the Mount of Transfiguration. I'm on Mount Carmel where Elijah calls down fire from heaven. I'm like, man, this is a cool place in biblical history. But across the valley was the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. And while they're there, Elijah shows up and Moses shows up. And Elijah represents the prophets, and Moses represents the law, and Peter's there, and he's like, this is so cool. We should build three tabernacles and just chill. And about that time, a a cloud just engulfs them, and a voice from heaven says, this right here is my son. In him I'm well pleased. The law is not going to save you, and the prophets are not going to save you, but this one right here, he's going to bring about radical transformation. But those guys, Peter, James, and John, They saw the glory of God being revealed like nobody else. Jesus took those guys, those last hours, into Gethsemane. Peter, James, and John were there with him when he fell and started praying, and his blood became like, or his sweat became like blood. And he even looked at him. He said, Y'all can't can't stay awake and hang with me. But he allowed those guys to experience his weakest, 
moment in regards to temptation where he was still strong. He, he took those guys over to this family's house where the little girl had died. And when Jesus shows up, Peter, James, and John were with him. The little girl was dead. Jesus says, no, she, she, she's just asleep. People started laughing at him. He said, oh, y'all get out. But Peter, James, and John come here. And he goes over and lays hands on this girl and says, Talitha, come, which means get up, little girl. These three guys got to see things that nobody else got to see. But here would be the question. Who are the three you are investing in? Who are the three you're investing in? Who's the three that you've put your arm around? Who are the three that you're exposing to certain crucial moments of life? My buddy Trevor, when he was serving here before he went to Spain, he had only been here for a few weeks, and I said, Trevor, i got a funeral I've got to do tomorrow. Here's what you should wear. You're going with me. He goes, you want me to speak? And I said, no, but I want you to go. And we're going to work with a family, and we're going to walk through this thing together because, Trevor, in a year, two years, you're going to have to do a funeral. But, Trevor, I want to model, and I want to walk with you to train you when that assignment comes. You won't have to call going, what do I do? Let's walk it out together. Who are the three that you're pouring your life into? Who is the one that you're sitting down with? I'll never forget. It was October of 1997. This was a cool, cool day. October of 1997, I'm in the driveway playing with sidewalk chalk with Rachel at the time. She was young. Benji was only about a year and a half old. And we were out there just playing with sidewalk chalk. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, hey, I've got a meeting for you tonight. I'm like, with who? And he says, don't worry about it. So I go down to the Braves game that night. I was chaplain of the Braves. We get down to the game, and we're sitting in the suite. Smoltzy had given me and Barb two tickets. And I'll never forget this night. It was so cool. And as the game started to start, Jeff Foxworthy and his brother Jay walks in. And God goes, I've got an appointment for you tonight. I'm like, what do you want me to do? Just trust me. And I remember Jay and I start this conversation. The Braves, the game gets kind of sloppy. They're getting beat. And all of a sudden, as Jay and I are talking, Jeff walks over. We start this conversation. I had met one-on-one with Terry Pendleton. He had given his life to Christ. I was meeting one-on-one with John Smoltz, discipling him. Jeff knew that. And he goes, what do you do? And I said, I walk with people into freedom. What are you looking for? He said, can I have your number? I said, sure. I gave him my number. Two days later, he called. The following day, we met in a Chick-fil-A parking lot in Gwinnett County. We sat there in the back. We talked for an hour and a half. I share with Jeff the hope of the gospel. We went and got him a Bible. We sat there in the Chick-fil-A parking lot, and Jeff said, you know what? I've wandered from God. I grew up in the church, but it's time for me to surrender. It was a one-on-one conversation. It was a one-on-one conversation with Smoltz. It was a one-on-one conversation. And those three dudes, I ended up putting my arms around saying, come on, I'm going to train you all on how to share your faith. And Smoltz, the first time he ever shared his faith publicly, I took him. The first time Foxworthy ever shared his faith in front of a group, I took him. Why? Because I was convinced that the model that Jesus laid out in Scripture was you impact one-on-one, you invest in those three, you get intentional about equipping other people. And I'm telling you, if I can be used by God to do something like that, you can too. 
And I'm not using those guys because they have name wreck. I'm using those guys because they were lost, hurting, hopeless, and looking for direction. Just like anybody else we meet. Now, when you study it, Jesus trained the 12. You can study the scripture, and Jesus spent a lot of time with the 12. The 12 were with him, with him, with him. And part of ministry is letting people be with you. Jesus gave them assignments again, just like he did the three, just like he does us. But when you study the life of Jesus, he was with them. He took those guys with him, maybe not where Peter, James, and John went, but they saw miracles. They saw water to wine. They, they, they saw incredible things taking place with Lazarus, being raised from the dead, but he was with them. Paul would say this in 1 Thessalonians 2 because he understood it as well. He says, when we came to you, we didn't just share with you God's good news and the gospel. We gave you our very lives. You got to know our heart. You got to know the way we think. You got to know everything about who we were. The way we do ministry here at the Cross Loganville is you get to know who we are. We don't hide. We're not covering it. Now, reality is, as we continue to grow, we're developing those smaller cell groups and small groups where people want to know your story. People want to hang out. The other night, again, I had a guy uh, send me a note. He was in a group, Richard, with you guys, Dan, and some other guys, but he sent me a note on Friday, and he said, is there any way we can hang out tonight? And I said, you just met with four guys yesterday that want to walk with you. I can't right now. I'm slammed. But I'm going to plug you into another group that will walk with you. When you start to train up that next generation, you've got to be intentional with it. You've got to look and say, how do we, how do we multiply ourselves in ministry? That's a crucial, crucial aspect of it. Jesus mobilized the 70. Not going to spend a lot of time there. But if you study Matthew chapter 10 and Luke chapter 10, Jesus sent these guys out in pairs. And he says, I want you all to go into the highways and hedges. And I want you to take the gospel. Don't take any money. Don't take any food. Just go. And then he looked at him and said this. I'm going to send you out like sheep among wolves. Hey, guys, this ain't a glamorous thing I'm asking you to do. I'm calling for a big commitment. You're going to get your lunch handed to you. People are going to reject you. People are going to spit at you. People are going to curse you. But when they do, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Now, I want to see if you're willing to ante up and be part of my team. And there's so many people, as soon as they face opposition, as soon as they face adversity, as soon as they face tension and pressure, they throw the towel in because somewhere in this evangelical message that we've heard in America that God just wants to make your life easy. And when you pray and ask Christ to come in, I mean, you're going to go to heaven and God just wants to bless you and you give him a dollar and he's going to give you 10. That's a bunch of junk. Following Jesus is costly. The word when he says, you shall be my witnesses, in the Greek is the word martyr, which implied you might die for this thing. You might be martyred for your faith, but I'm going to send you out, and I want to raise you up. You've got to be intentional. Jesus had strategy. I'll wrap you with this thought. Jesus ministered to the masses. In Matthew chapter 14, we see him ministering to the masses. There was always crowds showing up. 
there, there was a crowd that showed up the day and Jesus couldn't get in and they cut the hole in the roof and let the dude down because crowds were always fascinated with what he had to say. Some, some, some of them in the crowd didn't want to hear what he had to say. They just wanted to attack what he was saying. John 6, he, he's looking at him and he goes, uh, I, I tell you what, I mean, I, I appreciate you guys hanging with me and you, you like some of the tricks and treats I've done and you, you kind of like some of the spectacular stuff, but unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can't have any part with me. Jesus had a way of thinning the crowd. He didn't tickle people's ears. I don't know where all this stuff comes from in our culture. There's always thinning crowds. So when you start to look at the life of Jesus, even when he would speak to the masses, he wasn't trying to get people to like him. He was trying to get people to shift their paradigm of what their worldview and God view was so that they could truly come to know him and follow him every day. Matthew chapter 14, the scripture says he got into a boat, went to a remote area. The crowds heard where he was headed, so they followed him on foot from many towns. The crowds, oh man, where's he going? Now again, he's done a lot of cool miracles, right? Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped out of the boat. He had compassion on them. Had compassion on them. He saw, he saw, he saw, he had compassion on them. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away. Let them go back down into the villages so they can buy some food for themselves. But Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. Uh, how many are showing up here? There's over 5,000 men plus women and children. We're not going to send them away. You feed them. And they're like, we got five loaves of bread and two fish. We ain't got enough. We, 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 we can't do it. Jesus said, bring me what you got. What do you got? I got five loaves and two fish. He told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves, two fish, and Gave thanks and blessed them. And then he started breaking them into pieces and gave to the disciples who distributed to the people. They ate as much as they wanted. Afterwards, the disciples even picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day, plus children and others. I'm reading this and I'm like, what do you see? I see that Jesus had compassion on the people. I see that Jesus saw beyond the obvious. Jesus knew that their greatest need was not physical food, but spiritual restoration. And I'm looking going, yeah, what did the disciples want to do? Get rid of them. Send them away. I ain't got time for it. It's been a long day. Let's chill. It's time to veg. And what do we do at times? I am so tapped out on people. I could really love God with all my heart if it wasn't for people. I don't know who you think Jesus died for. People. But I'm reading through this, and Jesus says, guys, go feed them. We don't have anything. And there's some of us that sit around in church for years. Why are you not out loving those who don't want the gospel? And why are you not out feeding those who really do want to grow? Why are you not out there involved in the game? And, and we say, well, we just ain't got anything to feed them. What, what, what do you have? What do you have in your hand? Back to what I said on the front side. All I knew how to do was throw a ball out there and teach kids. You, that's what you got? Then bring it to me. Oh, okay, I can, I can bring that to you. My buddy Craig was in the first service. He contacted me last year, and he's like, man, I had this plumbing job I went to see. This lady, man, she was really hurting. 
He said, I was in there working on this job and just started weeping, weeping, looking at the conditions, man, and looking at just how bad her health was. And he's like, I get done with the job. And he said, while I'm back there, I'm just praying for her. She's like, how much I owe you? He's like, ma'am, I love Jesus. And I just want you to know that Jesus is enough for you. And if Jesus is enough for me and he's enough for you, it means I don't want anything from you. I just want you to know he's enough. And he tells me that story, and I'm like, what do you got? I, I, I got this wrench in my hand. What do you have? What do you have that you haven't used? What do you have that God has uniquely put inside of you that he's like, just throw it on the altar and let me use it? These guys were looking going, we ain't got anything. Jesus said, bring me what you got. I'm not asking you to bring me what somebody else has got. I'm not asking you to bring me a, a seminary degree. What do, you, what, what do you got? Some of my favorite people in the scripture were uneducated, unschooled people. Peter didn't go to seminary. John didn't go to seminary. Amos was a back roads country bumpkin preacher. Study his life in the Old Testament. Yeah, Paul had a little giftedness in him, but a majority of the people were not that sharp. They just brought Jesus what they had. And it's amazing what God can do when we yield to him what we've got. We've got to learn to extend compassion. Bring Jesus what you've got. Here's a huge one. Here's a huge one. Quit making excuses. Why are you not doing anything? And we've got all these excuses. What DC talked saying years ago, I am the king of excuses. I've got one for every single thing I do. What's going on inside of me? I despise my own behavior. This only serves to confirm my suspicion that I'm a man in need of a savior. We make excuses. I, I, I just can't do it. Get in the game. Our vision is to reach these people. We desire to see every person we encounter move from an A to an E. We're going to meet people that walk in here that are A's. I know that. They're apathetic towards spiritual things. They got burned. Something got twisted up in them. They got hurt. They just are clueless. I understand. But if that person starts hanging a little bit, we're going to see them become a B. They start becoming interested in God-style things. Before you know it, that bee can't stay a bee any longer. They start moving and said, man, it's time for me to become a C. It's time for me to confess Christ. I got to repent. That person that becomes a C will not stay satisfied as a C in this fellowship. They will want to become a D, which means you're going to want to develop as a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're going to want to be all that you can be and the best that you can be for the glory of God and help others in the process. And then that D is going to look saying, there's more. I got to become an E. I got to start equipping other people. So we're going to reach over the next days and weeks and months and years. We're going to reach people. We're going to reach them. We're going to teach them. And we're going to train them. Now, do you want to be in the game? Whatever you've got, you bring to the dance. Time, talents, resources. Whatever you've got, we're going to rally together. We're all going to come together as a team and say, we're going to be on that mission. We're going to reach that next generation with the gospel. We're not going to bow down. We're not going to back down. 
Drew, we're going all in to reach, teach, and train because we will not be students of the great omission. We'll be students of the great commission. We're going to carry out what Master Jesus told us to do. And the church is flooded with people. They read Matthew 28, and you walk out the door, and you're still in the great omission. We're not going to omit it. It is going to be the bread and butter of everything that we do.